Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Jason Solomons, and I'm in Cannes for this special edition of the New European Podcast. Eh oui, bonjour, Cannes is back and we've got all the sounds of the world's most glamorous and influential film festival. The stars, the reviews and the buzz. We will go to Cannes, it's a big moment, a dream, it's, we dream when we come to Cannes. Yeah, a lot of people pull us down Louise. And she said, no, this is done, I don't want you to film me anymore. And I understood that I had really brutalised her and shocked her. You know what, the, the day after the premiere, I woke up and I, I felt like, oh no, the reviews are coming out today, I probably ruined the whole film. So it's very overwhelming, it's like, it's very huge, it's huge. Yes, you can probably hear the crickets chirping in the background. I'm in the palais on top of the terrace here uh, and there's lots of sort of foliage around as I look out over the sea uh, and, uh, you know, buzz is the key word of the festival and we've certainly got some for you. Starring with me on this show, I've got European style icon Charlotte Gainsbourg. I bring you a new star from Norway, Renata Reinsvi. I've got Italo-French acting royalty in Valeria Bruni Tedeschi and Can legend, producer of Crash and The Last Emperor, Jeremy Thomas. So let's get straight into it, shall we? And get out and about, along the croisette, after our negative Covid test, of course. So I've come up to one of the iconic Cannes locations, the roof terrace of the Marriott, with the swimming pool and the sunshine. It's an evening sunshine. It's about to set, and I'm about to interview one of the great icons of European cinema, Charlotte Gainsbourg. You know her through her provocative films with Lars von Trier, like Antichrist and Nymphomaniac, but now she's turned filmmaker herself, making a documentary about her mum, Jane Birkin. It's called Jane by Charlotte. It's brilliantly done, very intimate. We're going to find out more about why she wanted to make a film about her mum and why she's opened a museum where she and her mum lived with Serge Gainsbourg. Rue de Verneuil in Paris, it remains untouched since the day Serge Gainsbourg died. With all his artefacts in place, we'll find out the latest about that museum, Rue de Verneuil, and when we can all go and have a look at where the Gainsbourgs live. But for now, let's open up Charlotte Gainsbourg herself and find out all about her and her mum. Charlotte Gainsbourg, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. And congratulations on your film. I loved it. Thank you very much. It's, it's a documentary. The intention was a documentary. Yeah, but it's a di- different to that. Like, you've, got, well, you've got the best access anyone could probably have. <laughs> That's for sure. But the, the starting point was to make a documentary about my mother, to follow her on tour. Of course, the professional side that everybody knows, but to have my own look on on her and then very quickly I realized in fact I wanted to ask her very personal stuff yeah you did and you really and did did, <laughs> did she mind she did mind yes because it started the wrong way I was choosing locations in Japan so I, I did shoot the concert and the rehearsals and everything it was beautiful then we shot different locations that were very much to do with Kate because Kate loved Japan so my sister Kate and then I wanted a setup to be able to do an interview because I thought that you know the documentary of course you have interviews so I wrote down all the questions that I I could possibly think of and and thought it has to be personal it has to has to mean something I can't just ask uh, questions that I have answers to so I went straight to the point and asked a very intimate thing 
to start with, but I was so shy that I think it came across as an examination. And she was completely put off by that. Is this the bit where she says she was intimidated yeah. by you? Yeah. And then she was very emotional and continued because she's very polite. But then when we came back to Paris and I said, so can I c go on? And she was about to do the Carnegie Hall in New York. Can I shoot you there? And she said, no, this is done. I don't want you to film me anymore. And I understood that I had really uh, brutalized her and shocked her. So two years went by and she came at one point in New York to, to visit and I said, do you want to see the footage of Japan? I didn't dare look at it because I, I was so sure that I had done something wrong. And we, we looked at this footage that was very beautiful and there was no bad intentions, you know, and, and we could see that it was very caring. Of course, maladroit, I don't know how you say maladroit. Clumsy. Clumsy and and uh, not done in, in the right way, but it was a starting point. Can I just go? Oh, I should wait. Mais je sais ce que je veux te demander en, en premier lieu, parce que c'est ce que je ressens, mais peut-être que tu ressens pas pareil. On a toutes les deux une pudeur, l'une en face de l'autre, et je sais pas d'où elle sort. Je sais qu'on est... Enfin, je sais que c'est dû à nos caractères, mais je pense pas que tu es la même avec Lou, et je pense pas que tu avais la même avec Kate. Non, peut-être Mais je pense aussi parce que comme, comme tu m'intimidais comme enfant, euh, mais pas enfant, enfant, très vite, très vite, je me sentais très privilégiée d'être dans ta présence. C'était pas pareil que c'était pas banal. Alors, euh, oh, ça, ça commence bien. <rire> You work in Gainsbourg's. You're quite open, it seems to me. Yes, yes. Always are, and you call you. I mean, we we're you're, we're in family conversations where you say Kate and you say Lou and you say, as if we're all supposed to know yeah, yeah, who sure. you are. Yeah. But we all know who you are, though. No, but what I like in the film is also that we do talk about Kate, and we don't explain. And then, by the end, you understand. A dead child, of course, makes sense. Things gradually come across and you don't need to know everything in our story. And it seems that it's a film about ageing and mortality and family bonds and that which makes yeah. us, which, is, which are both tragedies and, and joys at the same time. Exactly, and I think by the end I was really telling the story of a mother to daughter, daughter to granddaughter, or, or <laughs> grandmother to granddaughter, and that was, that had a real meaning. And, but I, I got the subject of the film very late because at first I wanted to do something that would talk about the her, but inside the whole family have, you know, Christmas gatherings and, and ask uh, my uncle to talk about her. My aunt did talk about her in Japan, but then I asked Lou if she would, um, if she would accept if I shot things around her and my mother. Lou de Wallon, just for the people who don't, don't know, everyone my knows little, you. My little sister. And um, and she said, no, I don't... It made her very uncomfortable, and she said, it's you know, it's about you. You're doing this film mm. on our mother, but it's very much um, a duo. So it made me understand that, in fact, I wanted to focus on un tête-à-tête. -tête. I love the silhouette of your two... I think you, know, yeah. you look fabulous together. You, know, it's really, you can really see you both in that mirror image. It's rather beautiful. But I understood that very late during that shoot, I used my little daughter, who was nine at the time, because it was so easy to put her there and to have this lineage of three women. It's great to see your mum as a grandma, as a mammy as well. No? Exactly, and, and it was suddenly very familiar and very banal and, and just uh, everyday's life. Yeah. And 
Well, you, uh, need, you need that, though. You can't just... Because I think everyone thinks, well, of course, that you're Charlotte and you're Jane and that you'll live a fabulous time. But, of course, you've got to cook fish yes. and make slundy lunch and everything the thing we all do. Exactly. And, I, and she was very generous in the sense that she accepted that. She accepted to have no makeup on and, and you know, to be a bit scruffy in her kitchen. And, and it, it became part of the film. But it was... That came very late when my editor was looking at all the footage we had and and she said why don't you take a camera yourself don't wait for the crew don't wait for makeup and hair and just go and do it yourself i loved it reminded me of blow up you know seemed to remind your mum of blow up as well tell me about the rue de vernay because that, that the heart of this film is that magnificent bit where you almost go to tutankhamun's tune with your mum and open it up i mean it was beautiful moving for everyone tell me what's going on with it it looked amazing I'd, i've never seen it before other than in pictures it's a little like uh, miss havisham yes <laughs> <laughs> nothing moved for 30 years uh, at the beginning, I was I was sure that he wanted it to be a museum, so I uh, I tried my best, but didn't try well enough. But anyway, it didn't happen. Then it went. It was on and off. I was trying, not finding any responses. Then people were helping me, and I was suddenly saying, No, no, no! I, it's too much for me. It was a treasure and it was mine, and it was my little bit of him. I couldn't go to the cemetery because there were always people there, and thank God there, there are, but I needed some privacy. Yeah. And uh, anyway, when I, w I left for New York to live there for six years, I think that distance made me understand that it needed to be a museum. I needed to let go, to either sell it and I was ready to sell it with all the stuff in it all the artifacts no but just sell the place and just move on um, and also don't not to make it a burden for my my own children who wouldn't know what to do with it <laughs> so give it a dust I think <laughs> yeah so anyway I I found a partner finally someone who was as in enthusiastic as I was who believed in the project and it's now happening but Wait, when's it happening when's it opening mm. when can I go it should open by December we want it to happen in 2021 um, it might be in January or but close it's gonna happen there's gonna be a get what's it gonna be called the Serge Gainsbourg Museum so many times La Maison Gainsbourg La Maison Gainsbourg j'adore ça voilà. it seems to me Charlotte that uh, we well know that you are the best wearer of jeans in <laughs> in the world you are double denim today it's so congratulations denim. and I thought it was a film about jeans and jeans you know the, yeah. the, the jeans so uh, you know that's I think perfect for <laughs> you but it is what have you inherited from your mum give me three characteristics that you would define your mum and what she's got what you've got of her insecurity that she really transmitted it it has its charm of course um, when I think of her but but it's uh, it's really complicated to to have to deal with that it means you always have doubts which is good it's it makes you move on and I mean move on just uh, move forward uh, so that the idea that natural is the best way I think she had gone through the 60s where there was heavy makeup and eyeliners and all of that. It was her natural beauty. So very early on she said, yeah, don't care about, don't try too hard. And then the, the pleasure of babies. She was, she really expressed it in such a true way that she, she was never as happy as when she was pregnant, never as happy as when the baby was born. You knew what to do. And I have the same thing with my children. There's this magical age of having a real purpose in life when they're so tiny. And then it goes away because they become real people. <laughs> <laughs> like you did. <laughs> and a real filmmaker now as well. So congratulations on that. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, 
joy to see you. Congratulations, Charlotte Gainsbourg. This is Jason Solomons on a special edition of the New European podcast. If you'd like to enjoy more from the New European, do join us by subscribing at theneweuropean.co.uk slash subscribe. And as Charlotte Gainsbourg knows only too well, can can make you a star. I think that's happened this year to Norwegian actress Renata Reinsvik who plays Julie, a 20-something Oslonian who finds romantic entanglements in the city and finds herself torn between two lovers and her own desires. The film is called The Worst Person in the World. It's directed by Norway's Joachim Trier. And I went to meet Norway's new star. I am Renate Reinsve, but here you say Renate Reinsve. I think. <laughs> and uh, I played the, the lead in Joachim Trier's film. I played the role of Julie, 30-year-old. Yeah, you follow her through a few years, but yes. Yeah, and we get to her 30th birthday and she has a cake in it. Exactly. She's a wonderful character, beautifully played. Uh, I think I told you at the opening, at the party for your film that a star was born. Then I opened the newspaper, I think the Guardian Review here said a star is born. So yes. between me and Peter Bradshaw, I think we're right. A star was born on the croisette. How does that feel? I don't know. I don't know. You know what? The, the day after the premiere, I woke up and I, I felt like, oh, no, the reviews are coming out today. I probably ruined the whole film. I had so much self-loathing like, like Julie, the character, does. And I actually just puked. It was, and I was very nervous for the panel debate or the, the panel interview. The, the press conference? Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, the press conference. Yes, I was so nervous. But uh, it went okay. And I'm dealing with it. <laughs> and are, you, are you all right now? You've got all the nerves and the sickness out? No. <laughs> Tomorrow, then I don't have any interviews. I'm going to just, like, enjoy. <laughs> this is your first can, I'm assuming, because it's kind of your first movie in a way. Yeah, yeah, it is. So it's very overwhelming. It's, like, it's very huge. It's huge, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we see a lot of Julie. We see a lot of you. I'm assuming you... There's, there's, as an actress, there's always a bit of you in every word, in every gesture. But we see her being happy, we see her being sad, we see her being fun, we see her being a bit of a nightmare, we see her being, you know, we love her at parts and we kind of detest her in other parts. So yeah. you had you have all of this <laughs> prism of emotions and, and to, to display. Yeah, that's good to hear. I wanted to, like, I wanted to be really honest. I wanted to be, like, horrible and terrible and... Uh, Trying to like be a bit like beautiful and proud and uh, getting embarrassed and try to get in touch with all the things that I'm a bit ashamed of. And I, yeah, I'm so glad to hear it comes through. Um, that's a big compliment. Oh, good. Well, because you could, it's very easy to just try and make her likable and go, love me, love me, love me. Look yeah, how yeah. cute I am. Aren't I Annie Hall? It's all so cute. Yeah. And there is a bit of Woody Allen, I felt, in this. There's even a direct quote from Woody Allen in this. Yeah, Joachim talked a lot about Annie Hall, actually, for me. So I, I watched that to, to see kind of what, uh, yeah, the charm of a character. And, and Julie really needed to be charming. You know, it's my favorite film of all time. Is it? Is it? Yeah, it's so charming. Yeah, I love her style. I love her way of being. Yeah, and that know. might be why I connected very yeah. much with with, with, <laughs> yeah. with it because I just thought, and it, but it wasn't all the way. It wasn't you weren't Annie because all rom com actresses since Diane Keaton are in a way yeah. Diane Keaton. Even everyone in yeah. Friends, for example, they're all like that. But you you gave it. That's why I said I think you gave us a lot more than even than you even get from Annie herself. Actually, wow, that's that's a okay. Wow, thank you. Thank you. Why are you Julia. Ikke si det. Hvorfor ikke det? For da bare finner jeg på Facebook og så... Ja, ja, ja. Det er lurt. Ok? Ok. Ha det. Ha det. Vi var ikke ute, Roda. Vi var ikke det. Vi var ikke det. Nei. Ha det. Ha det. Could we have seen you before, or, or only if we'd been at the Oslo Theatre Company or something? This is like my first uh, project, film, pro or, or yeah, film project that I really connected with. I've done a lot of theatre, like deep, hard Russian tragedy, and I love that. I love it, like diving in. I like uh, I've seen a lot of and read a lot of uh, Russian art. Uh, you know the the film 
come and see. It's or is Ellen Klimov. Yeah, that's like one of my favorites. I love yeah. how dark things can get. And noisy. Yes. <laughs> it's one of my favorites too, but yeah. not not in the same way as Annie Hall. <laughs> no, those are two very different worlds, but I like to combine them. I I it's a like it's such a blessing playing this role because you can really go a lot of places with Julie, the the character. We we we, we did. I mean, I've never been to Oslo. No. And I never thought, oh, well, I've been to Stockholm and I've been to Copenhagen, but yeah. Oslo wasn't on the list. No. It is now. I want to. I want to live there. It looks amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. I love Oslo. I really do, and I love it even more when I watch a Joachim Trier movie. He's really, yeah, it's great. I love the scenery. Also, like you get to, like, rest with Julie and contemplate with her. Like, think about all the things. I think because how Joachim portrays the city, you also get like space as an audience too be with her thoughts yes i mean I, th- I guess she projects them onto the city itself yeah. in one scene you know the city stops for her to yeah. have her love affair that's yeah, how that's selfish true. and egotistical she is yeah that was such a fun play uh, scene to play tell yeah. us about it I mean, it's one of the iconic scenes of this can i think tell us about it because everyone was it was in the shot when you did the shot when you're running through the city i'll just tell my listeners that she runs <laughs> yeah. through the city and everyone's in freeze frame like while she runs from one lover to, to see the other one, to steal a kiss, and then runs back, and then yeah. time starts again. How do you shoot that? Well, they wanted to do everything old school, so like they didn't want to do anything digital, so they just closed off a whole area of the city, and then they put extras up in uh, a certain way, and they learned how to stand like really still. They had some like blocks underneath the heels, so they can relax in the walking position, and then I just run through them, and it, it was... It was wild being there, and around you, they actually stood still. Yeah, yeah, they didn't yeah. use CGI, and no, and nothing. the people were standing there like not moving. Yeah. Did, did anyone like when you ran past them, kind of wobble a bit or look at you, and they have to say, "Take it again, yeah. extra." That happened a lot. <laughs> Everyone was so interested in what was happening in the scene, so they wanted to see. And I saw someone like looking at me through the mirror, but the camera would catch that, so we had to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's also not easy to run. Uh, on screen, Diane Keaton. I don't think has ever run on oh, screen. Really? It's not easy, and you did a, you did some good running in this. Oh, thank you. Actually, Joachim said that I had to make it really. We actually worked on the run because I I was running too elegant for him. I had to like make it messy with my arms like flopping a <laughs> bit. <laughs> so, it, are you from Oslo? Os- Oslonian is that the word? You, I now it is. <laughs> no. What do you call it? From Oslo, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm from. Um, I'm uh, from a really, really small place. It's not even a place. It's just like a road. We had one bank and one that that's closed, and then one uh, shop and a school. But uh, what's, it, what's it called? It's Sorberva. Sorberva. Yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, I was not exposed to any like culture, art when I grew up, so I had to like find it myself. So was that your you know, your young Oslo, in a way, that, that was represented. Did you and you kind of feel that person, that Julie? You kind of had met her a few times. Yeah. It, you know, it's it's like you probably have that where you grew up too. Like, uh, you know where to go to see the beautiful sunset. And you know the the special lighting when you, you're going home from a party and when the sun is coming up again. Like, those... Those are very emotional moments. So uh, I guess in Oslo in the summer, if you go to a party and the sun goes down, comes up, it's a very quick moment. Like two hours where it's dark, maybe one. Yeah, it's very quick. <laughs> Listen, I really enjoyed your Julie. I thought that, that it, was a, it was a great performance. I loved the film. You know, I really was taken with it uh, and all the references that were there yeah. as well. So congratulations on that. And congratulations on... On doing can your first can. I, look, I don't want to look. I've been here a long time. Go. It doesn't always work like this. No. Sometimes you'll be back and they hate your film. Yeah, I've heard. I was very nervous. I heard that they boo sometimes. Mm-hmm. Do they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we got a really like. It was a long applause. I was. I. It was hard to handle. It was so much love. Beautiful. What do you do? Because it's like ten, fifteen minutes. You're just smiling. Yeah, my my. My mouth did like shaking, uh, and then I started crying. I was holding back, but I I was very moved by all the all the love. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
take some from us too because I loved it and I love I love Julie and I, I want to see more. Are, are you doing more films? What's happening now with you? Uh, I am actually, but uh, I can't say anything, of course. But uh, yeah, stuff might be happening. Stuff will happen. Yes. Or oh, are you going back on the stage in Oslo? A little bit, yes. I have something planned that I have to do, but. Uh... And I love I love being on stage, but it's very hard. It's a different. It's much more physical, hard work. Yeah. So uh, I really want to do a bit more movies now. I've fallen in love completely. Maybe I should just describe to you some of the logistics that we had to go through because uh, British delegates, uh, despite being double vaxxed, their vaccination certificates didn't count. The French decided that non après le Brexit you lot are going to have to, you know, go through special things. So we had to get tested uh, right by the harbour here, the Gare Maritime, the, the main port outside the Palais down below me. There was a field hospital, like a makeshift war zone set up that was a COVID testing centre, a COVID dépistage. Uh, and you go and you spit into a plastic tube, a plastic vial. Uh, and your spit comes out and the, it shouldn't be frothy. You have to fill it quite a lot. It's almost like halfway, this thing. It's almost half a throat. Uh, and if it's the wrong colour, then they didn't accept it and you had to send it back because it means you've got blood in your gums or something. Mine came out pink the second time. They said, oh, so that's too pink. And I said, look, it's just excess of rosé, which is the uh, obviously the tipple that we have down here on the south of France. So... I don't know, then you get a nasal test instead and then you have to wait like six hours, this awful wait before you get a text to tell you whether you're positive or negative. Uh, at one stage I, I hurriedly came out of a screening, I looked at my phone to see what the, the email result was and I sort of misread it and I thought I'd turned positive. This was just as I was going to watch the football final. I thought, God, I can't go watch the football. I've got to tell everyone uh, that I've met, <laughs> that I've given them COVID. You know, we've got quite tight bubbles here and this is Jeremy Thompson and Charlotte and Gainsbourg and Tilda Swinton that I'd met and I've given them all COVID. I've ruined Can. I mean, it was the worst 10 minutes of my life finding out I tested positive until I read the email again and in small letters it said click here to find out your result and I was, of course, negative. Ah, dear. So we try and remain positive even while we're negative. Apart from the football, of course. Anyway, just to get one back at them, Italian film Tre Piani, Three Floors, by former Palm d'Or winner Nanni Moretti, was really rubbish. Not even Donnarumma could have saved it. <laughs> Just thought I'd get that in. At the time of recording this, at the start of the festival's seventh day, I can't say this has been a vintage competition, which is a bit of a surprise given the backlog of films we were promised. I came looking for something that might be the future of the movies, something to blow me away, and I'm not sure I've found that yet. But let's hear what some of my critical colleagues from around Europe and the world have discovered. Kaleem Aftab, I'm here writing for The Eye and Cine Europa. Oh man, I've seen a lot of good films lately. Uh, just this morning I watched The French Dispatch, the new Wes Anderson film. It's full on Wes. If you like Wes Anderson, this is perfect. It's an overdose on the senses. And it's also an ode to journalists, which a lot of filmmakers are doing. Sean Penn did that as well. He celebrated journalists. Seems to be a thing. They need us. They finally worked out. My name is Christian Monga. I'm a Danish film journalist. I write for a daily Danish newspaper called Information. And how important to you is it being back at Cannes? Actually, I think it's very important. It's my 22nd year here, and uh, I've missed it. I think it was Roger Ebert who once called this Disneyland for adults, and there's something really true about that. My name is Stephanie Bunbury. I'm a reporter for the Melbourne Age newspaper and the Sydney Morning Herald newspaper. Ari Folman's Where is Anne Frank? I have to say, sees my heart in a way that was almost literal. I think I cried through the entire film and this is a film made for children. I suppose I suppose that's really where we're at. I mean, if, if, if something's made for children, it's, it's very direct, it's, it's very uh, sincere and uh, there's no getting away from the utter tragedy of both Anne's life and the kinds of modern resonances that Ari Folman, in a work of, I think, you know, a small work of genius, really, brings into play. What are you waiting for, Anne? Open your presents. Oh, that's so lovely. When you write, who do you actually write to? To myself, of course. I prefer to think of my diary as a girl, a best friend. Her name will be Kitty. 
Kitty. Hmm. I like it. Come down, Anne. I'm waiting for you. Is he a boy from class? Of course. Who are you talking to, Anne? Up until a year ago, everyone was in love with me. Everyone? It was all so wonderful. Then everything changed. We're leaving. They told everyone we were to blame for all the world's problems. This secret apartment is going to be our hiding place. John Bleasdale, I'm writing for Sight and Sound and Cineview.com. I've seen loads of films and I've been given so many five-star movie reviews. And I've loved Annette, uh, which I thought was one of the best musicals I've ever seen. My name is Josh Hiratunian. I own a PR firm that specializes in foreign language independent and documentary films for the United States. Uh, so I'm here in Cannes surveying the landscape, watching films, and hoping to secure clients for next award season. I've seen lots of great films. Uh, I particularly loved Bergman Island by Mia Hansen Love. I thought it was a wonderful film. Um, that's probably my favorite of the festival I so far. It has a great touch. Oh, it's absolutely... I mean, I'm a Bergman fan, and I, I thought it was interesting because it's sort of the perspective of being a Bergman fan, but also um, finding your own voice as a filmmaker in your own right, and I think that's, you know, wonderful, especially from a feminine perspective. So I'm Ed Potton, and I write for The Times. And what does it mean to be back at Cannes after a year away? It's lovely to be back, I have to say. It's been an absolute nightmare in terms of logistics, the old saliva tests. Uh, I never thought I'd be nostalgic to have something stuck up my nose, but I was offered that as an alternative to saliva tests, and I readily accepted it. But no, it's great to be back. I loved uh, Jane by Charlotte, which is a documentary by Charlotte Gasborg about her mum, Jane Birkin. Incredibly French and uninhibited. You know, they, they kick off with, with, she asked Charlotte to see her naked when she was 14. And all this, you know, you can't really imagine British actresses or singers talking about that kind of full-on stuff immediately, uh, ki you know, kicking off a, a documentary. So that was great. I, I loved on a slightly more conservative but really gorgeous level um, Mothering Sunday, which is Eva Hussein's film about uh, adaptation of the Graham Swift novel about uh, upper-class families in the wake of the Great War and uh, who've lost sons and uh, are dealing with grief, but also kind of loads of sex. I mean, as everyone said, there's loads of sex in Cannes this year. Loads on of screen. sex, yes. Well, you know, probably off screen too, but not, not, not in uh, my particular vicinity. You're listening to Jason Solomons with a special edition of the New European Podcast. If you'd like to enjoy more from the New European, do join us by subscribing at theneweuropean.co.uk. Subscribe. I'm back at the iconic Alban Terrace with the sun beating down and the blue sea sparkling in the distance. I'm here to meet French actress Valeria Bruni Tedeschi. We know her through her films with Francois Ozon, films like Five Times Two and his recent Summer of 85. But she's also an accomplished filmmaker in her own right. Her film Actresses uh, won a prize here in 2007 and her film the Ca My Castle in Italy played in competition here. She was back on the big screen in Cannes just the other night in a film called La Fra translates as The Divide. She plays a middle-class woman who breaks her elbow and has to spend an evening in hospital right as a gilet jaune riot breaks out and all chaos ensues and all life ends up in that hospital uh, with her. Uh, it'd be very exciting to find out how they made it. It's a great performance from Valeria Bruni-Tedeschi. It must be great to be back at Cannes. You've had such success here with Actrice and with My Castle in Italy. Yes, yes. I, 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 it's, uh, yes, it's not the first time. <laughs> Your first rodeo, we say. What does it Cannes mean to you, then? It's uh, it's always something uh, a dream. It's we dream when we come to Cannes. Before we dream, when we know that we will we'll, we will go to Cannes. It's a big moment. The biggest moment it's before. Mm -hmm. After, when we are here, we work. But yes. you are in a fantastic film, fantastic performance Thank from you. you. Thank you very much. Tell me about your character because she's um, she's a difficult, a difficult woman. Yes, I mean I have a, a, the, a, a, a like a, a sensation that uh, I, I I I I did more than one character, like a family of characters. Since I was young, uh, one is it was the les gens normaux n'ont rien d'exceptionnel. Uh, Normal a, people have nothing exceptional. Exactly, a movie that I, I did when I was uh, 28 years old. After I, I did uh, not so far a movie in Italy called uh, 
folle de joie, pas de joie. C'est la pas de joie. Still crazy, I think we called it. Like crazy in English. And uh, and this movie, it's uh, like um, a family of, um, I would not say crazy characters, but I would say very free characters, free from the, um, I don't know how do you say in English, the sur moi? The, uh, uh, Superior. The, yeah, the... the <laughs> you know, in, in Freud said that we, we have all the moi, the ça, the moi, and the sur moi. The super ego. Yeah, it's uh, like a policer that we have inside of uh, uh, ourselves and that, that we, we don't do what we would like to do. And it's with this this kind of characters I asked my super ego to go in holidays you know <laughs> so what happens if I don't have this policer interior policer and this is what happens you it know? just all comes out yeah everything comes out and it's a very big uh, party yeah. <laughs> I thought you and uh, Marina Foyce your, your, your partner on the screen yeah. they, we, you were a great uh, what we call in English a double act you know yeah. you're like Laurel yeah. and Hardy <laughs> yeah it was really a couple we, we were very we felt good together yes uh, the people were laughing all yeah, the way a different energy we have a very different energy and uh, and uh, it was it was good to feel that we, 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 we felt uh, joyful the, the film is, is very human, and that's why we, we like it, but it's also very political uh, for you. It, it reflects not just what, uh, one night in Paris. I think it reflects what's going on in many cities in Europe. Yeah, I think it's a, a, a vision of world. It's not a, uh, yeah, only France. It's really a vision of uh, humanity, of uh, uh, that we are all in the same boat. And this hospital is like a, a sort of both, and that we 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 have the feeling that we all we are all in the same boat. Except some of us can swim easier than others. Some yes. of us. Some 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 die. Some 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 some. But we are all together, and we don't have to forget that we are all together. And this is really the for me the the message of the movie that yeah. we, we we are all in the same level yeah. even if the boat sometimes has holes in it exactly <laughs> and water yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. did you film this during the, the the lockdowns and the confinements and during the era of covid you, you filmed this uh, if if i felt the if you shot the film during during lockdown yeah, yeah, yeah completely I, I i shot this movie and two others movie uh, during we have the chance with cinema that the movies didn't go out, but we could continue to work, to do movies. So we, we, we did this movie in these conditions, yeah. It looks quite complicated because there's a lot of people, a lot of moving. Yeah, complicated, but uh, really uh, we always felt the chance that we had to work, you know. And this, this, this con uh, we were aware of the chance. And this... Uh, think to be aware of the chance I think we, we we lose after and I would like not to lose this uh, this awareness you say absolutely no I think maybe maybe helps with a film like this which is urgent and quick and lots yes. of people but what I would like is even in the future not to forget that that we are lucky to work and now being back at Cannes, uh, I see um, your old collaborator, François Ozon. He has a film also in the competition. I remember you in Saint Fois de Five Times Two and Time to Leave and Summer of 85 still. Is it like a reunion when you come to Cannes for you? You meet up with old friends? Yeah, he, he came yesterday to see the movie of Catherine. Yes, it's something uh, about friends also. It has to be that. It, it has to be more that than than other things. I think that cinema it's uh, also it's very important the, the 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 relationship with people, the friend relationships, the meetings, all that are for me. It's really my work. It's about that. Are you making another film as director again? Yeah, I'm doing a movie in this moment. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, as a director. Can you tell me about it? It's about um, a drama school that I did when I, I was young yeah. with Patrice Chéreau. Uh, in France? Yeah. Not, not an Italian one? No, it's ah. a French movie. And you're shooting this now? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm shooting in this moment. I shoot yesterday. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Valeria Bruni Tedeschi, yeah, that Bruni, she is related to Carla Bruni. Uh, she was a great double act with Marina Foyce in La Fracture. But another double act that charmed Cannes was Jeremy Thomas and Mark Cousins, the great British producer and the restless documentary maker. Mark followed Jeremy Thomas in the car on his annual pilgrimage to Cannes. He drives here every year from his Oxfordshire home. And together they made the documentary The Storms of Jeremy Thomas. You might not know Jeremy but the films he's produced will definitely be among your favourites. From Crash and Naked Lunch to Oscar winner The Last Emperor to Sexy Beast to Dangerous Method, The Hit and Nick Rhodes' Bad Timing and Europa. Cool stuff, basically. And for cinephiles, this is a very enjoyable film that drove straight into the Cannes classic section here, the place Jeremy Thomas has practically made a second home. Uh, somebody told me it was 48. <laughs> But, um, you know, it's around 50. But I also came with Bernard Delfont because I was friendly with his daughter. We were at school together, and I came with the year of the go-between. And I stayed in the apartment here, and I came down opening night with Bernard Bernie and the family. Somebody got a bow tie, and we came. And I saw that, and I was very impressed by that. I was very impressed. It was quite a good film. Yeah, I was impressed by the movie, of course. I loved the movie. But I loved um, the whole idea that cinema was this grand, you know, and uh, it was an elegant in the, in the old festival um, hall. And uh, that was my first year, but I wasn't accredited. And then I think my first accreditation was 1974 or something like that. I know things have changed, obviously, over the years, but this year feels a little bit like a sort of watershed moment. It, I, I, I was saying to someone yesterday, it's either the end of an old era or the start of a new era, or perhaps it's a bit of both. What, what, have, you, what have you found so far? It's the same, I think. I think it's the same. I think it's us all joining together, a very refined group of people joined together to see, in ideal conditions, the best of the best of the best, uh, selected by French selectors. And then we go and spread the word about that to try and keep our chosen discipline alive in a world that doesn't really want it, but does really need it. You see, the world needs cinema because I learned my education of the world through the cinema. And I think that if anybody's truthful to themselves, whether they were just watching films on the TV or whether they were enthusiasts and sought out more, they learned about the world through the movies, even through Hollywood movies. Is that the same for you, Mark? Yeah, I did. I learned I, I learned about Shakespeare through Orson Welles, for example, you know, and um, um, always that for me. And cinema is it's much easier to start watching a film than open a book for me for example you know so cinema is a magic casement that opens up to all sorts of things whether it's literature and other places i fell in love with iran before i went to iran i fell in love with new york before i went to new york i fell in love with love before i was in love so in all the it's a sort of entry drug mark you you had two movies here yeah. uh, the, you had your story of film new generation uh, and and the storms of jeremy thomas yeah. um Tell us, I mean, if you haven't seen the film, where did you get the title, The Storms of Jeremy Thomas, from? Uh, I was with Jeremy, I don't know, four or five years ago here in Cannes on the beach, and he it was at a lunch, and the weather was blue, and then suddenly a storm came, and the palm trees went... And, every, and the rain bucketed down, and people grabbed their plates and ran, and... And Jeremy just seemed to get bigger as the storm came and he sat there and he said isn't this wonderful and immediately I wasn't planning to make a film about him then but I thought there, I've got a sense of the man in that moment you know sometimes you see somebody in a moment and I just thought the fact that he wanted to ride the storm ride the dissonance shows that he likes the tempest he's not the the, the gentle exterior hides something else in more fiery uh, uh, inside and so when I was approached to make a film about Jeremy I thought well I've got already got the met metaphor which immediately led to the title and of course you realize that the idea of a storm tells you something about sexuality or power or all those films that Jeremy have made have got a kind of temp tempestuous quality to them. How does it feel to have your your work examined obviously Mark's got his 
own idiosyncratic way of appreciating your films. What did you learn stuff about yourself and your movies through seeing Mark's reappraisal of them? It's very hard to see yourself as a child and then see yourself as an older man, you know. And uh, actors have to deal with that, and it must be very difficult for a beautiful young actor to see themselves walking and striding around with not a line on their face. And then, um, then you see yourself lined and limping and looking old like an old man, you know. And on your brain, it stayed the same. And you have no idea that you've aged yourself. Yeah, you know you've aged because you see yourself in the mirror every day. And it's very, very slow. And you get used to the lines and all that. And anyway, I like lines on faces. And um, so that, um, and in fact, I read a review this morning when I was, my face described as a wizened walnut. And, you know, and, and, you know, and I thought, well, you know, yeah, okay, I can take that. I look at Tony Gatliff and I like to look like him, you know. He'll be a Brazil nut if you carry on working with Walter Salas. <laughs> well, what, what uh, is the state of European cinema? Now, there's something that you've been working in for a long time shooting in Europe but you know recently you've been working with Matteo Garoni and bringing Dogman and his 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 work to the screen but it seems this is a one of the a key key moment for European cinema well I'm able to work in um I may it's easier for me and historically it's been much easier for me to work outside of the UK although I'm very very English and I live in England and my family's in England and my history's in England I'm really a bit like cinema, you know, I'm on the outs of, of that. And I haven't really, I can't really get funding in the UK for my films, um, somewhat. And so I, I mean, that's from really the beginning of time. Uh, my taste has not really synced up with where the funding is a lot, sometimes, but not much. And I was drawn anyway to these projects which I was able to um, achieve uh, from the world. And I really don't see cinema as a national thing, you see. I, I really see it as something of the world. It's a world cinema. It's a cinema of the world, you know. And I don't like the idea of jingoism around cinema, and it's something which I really find appalling. So, you always look to the president of the jury for a possible winner. Who will Spike Lee choose this year? I honestly haven't seen anything that could chime with him. In fact, if I was him, I might be a little pissed off that... Some of the films are pretty old-fashioned, and a lot of them are very white and male. But there are chances that he could be taken with a cinematic craft and not be uh, as reductive as that and be very open-minded. Could it be The French Dispatch, which is Wes Anderson's homage to foreign correspondence, to European sophistication and old-fashioned print magazines like The New Yorker? Go tell your parents you're home. They're worried. Unexpected back on the barricades. I didn't see any barricades. Well, we're still constructing them. Uh-huh. What are you writing? Our manifesto. I told them not to invite Paul, by the way. Maybe you're sad, but you don't seem lonely to me. Exactly. I saw you at the protest on top of a bookcase taking notes. Is there a story in us for the people of Kansas? Maybe. Then you should study our resolutions. Or anyway, will you proofread it? My parents think you're a good writer. Give it to me. It's a little damp. Physically or metaphorically? Both, based on the cover and the first four sentences. Don't criticize my manifesto. Oh, you don't want remarks? I don't need remarks, do I? I only asked you to proofread it because I thought you'd be even more impressed by how good it already is. Let's start with the typos. Well, that certainly provides the stars of week two. There's Tilda Swinton, Bill Murray, Jason Schwartzman, Saoirse Ronan, Jeffrey Wright. I mean, basically everyone who's been in a Wes Anderson movie. Owen Wilson, yep. Um, <laughs> Benicio Del Toro, Lea Seydoux, who got COVID and couldn't turn up to the premiere. And there's, of course, the quirky, self-styled gentleman director himself, now resident in Paris. It has to be one of the most beautiful films he's ever made. The detail is extraordinary. Some of the shots are out this world but to be honest I thought it was terrible 
it was cultural appropriation. I thought it was rude, really. He was really pastiching the French, French culture, French cinema. And if I was French, I'd be like, you can't do this, Wes. You can't come along here and say, oh, aren't you cute with your student revolutions and your flashy food and your uh, insistence on art? I mean, I mean, I know it was supposed to be respectful, but it just comes across as patronising, frankly. Listen, I wasn't alone. Lots of people thought that and thought he was, you know, you reach peak Wes at a certain point, and I'm certainly there uh, with the French dispatch. Maybe Bergman Island could appeal to Spike. Tim Roth stars for director Mia Hansen-Love in a meditation on cinema and love set in the stunning surrounds of Faro, where Ingmar Bergman lived and filmed. It's the sort of film that walks into Cannes and up the red carpet onto the big screen all by itself. I have to say, I really liked it. I don't think Benedetta is for Spike Lee and the jury. This is Paul Verhoeven, soft-core 17th-century lesbian nun action from the showgirls' director. It certainly split audiences. Some thought it was queasily entertaining, which it is at best. Others merely tawdry and dire, even. It features scenes of flagellation and torture, Virginie Elfira, very naked, lots of visions of Jesus, and, um, <clears throat> shall we say, inventive use of a miniature Virgin Mary statue. <laughs> the competition began to flag in the middle, I felt, literally, because Sean Penn returned to Cannes with a tiresome and overblown, overblown? Sean Penn? Moi? <laughs> film called Flag Day, in which he played uh, a father and his daughter Dylan played his daughter in it. It is based on a true story, it said at the start, which is a, a surefire way of making me not be able to believe a single frame of it. <laughs> So, yeah, a few films definitely have got the can buzz, though. So do look out for these titles that people are talking about. You heard them here first on this new European special podcast. Hit the Road by Panar Panahi. Titan by Julie Ducournau. Memoria by former winner Thailand's Apichatbon Virasthetical. And that's something left field and cool, I'm pretty sure. And that's what cinema needs. The winners will be announced on Saturday the 17th and I'll be rounding it all up in the new European paper. But for now, that's it from me, Jason Solomons, here in Cannes with this special new European podcast, a glamorous special full of sunshine and the buzz of Cannes. See you soon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.